Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Quiet Mark podcast. I'm your host, Simon Gosling, and Quiet Mark is the independent international approval award program associated with the UK Noise Abatement Society Charitable Foundation. It encourages companies worldwide to prioritise noise reduction within the design of everyday machines and appliances and find solutions to noise problems to benefit health and well-being. Where's the best echo that you've ever heard? I'm sure if you've been to the Grand Canyon, it would probably be there. I haven't. So for me, it was back in 2016 when I was in Cluj in Transylvania. I had been invited to Romania to do a talk at an event called Tech Sylvania. And whilst I was there, the organisers of the event very kindly took the speakers on a few day trips to local attractions. And one attraction that we went to was the salt mines at Selina Turda. And let me tell you, these salt mines were immense, fully underground. They opened in the 17th century, but stopped being used pretty much after about 1840. And now they're a tourist attraction. And way underground, can't tell you how vast it is, but there are facilities including a Ferris wheel, there's a mini golf course. I even paddled around a lake in a paddle boat. And there was one point during our visit where the tour guide said to the group of about 20 of us, we were standing at the top of this huge drop, which was about 16 stories high. And the tour guide asked us all to shout out a word in unison. I think originally we shouted out the word Dracula. Anyway, we shouted it out. And to my amazement, I heard it echoed about 25 times before it faded away. It really was quite phenomenal. Now, Echoes in salt mines are all well and good, but they're the last thing that you want to hear in a shopping mall, a library, in a space of work, or even in our own homes when we're just trying to relax or possibly work from home. So in this episode, we're going to look at how to equip architects, designers, and specifiers with the best solutions to solve the major problem of reverberation across very many different types of buildings. Because if that reverberation is left untreated and sound is allowed to bounce off the gorgeous hard-looking surfaces, the beauty of that space will soon be depleted by the bad sound waves ricocheting and causing daily long-term discomfort to the inhabitants. We know that when acoustics is left off the priority list, a building can sound hollow, ugly and not be suitable for purpose. Throughout the recording of this episode, which took place at the end of November 2020, That well-known phrase, a man is only as good as his tools, came to mind on more than one occasion. So I thought I'd look into the origins of that phrase, and I found it attributed to a man called Emmett Wolfe, but it appears that very little is known about Emmett Wolfe, other than the fact that he was a grave marker from Ogle County, Illinois, who lived from 1894 to 1968. And whilst the tools that Emmett spoke of may have changed a lot since those days, not least of all with the advent of the computer and tools now being software-based as much as tangible products, that phrase which Emmett coined nevertheless holds true as much today as it did when he first said it. So why did that phrase keep springing to mind, you may well ask? Well, I'm joined by two fantastic guests on this episode, the first being Jack Richardson, a senior acoustic consultant at Hilson Moran, and my other guest being Spencer Drake, regional sales manager at Armacoat Surface Finishes. Jack, as an acoustic consultant, of course, being reliant upon tools made by companies like Armacoat that improve acoustics in the built environment. So before reading each of Jack and Spencer's short biographies, let me tell you a little bit about each of their companies, starting first with Hilson Moran. Hilson Moran is an international multidisciplinary practice offering design consultancy services for the built environment. They draw on over 40 years of experience in building design and continuously seek innovative solutions and explore modern methods of design and delivery. Hilson Moran prides itself on the variety of projects it undertakes. From energy assessments for master plans in the Middle East to facilities management of schools in Manchester, their work is married together by high quality, good relationships and attention to detail. 
Armacoat is a market-leading manufacturer and specialist contractor of decorative surface finishes. The company has its UK head offices in Sevenoaks and has a wholly owned US subsidiary business based in Las Vegas. Developed over an almost 40-year period, the company works with a network of agents and customers and enjoys product sales and installation into 80 countries. The UK business manages the manufacture of the wide product range, global distribution and technical support. It also runs a significant contracting business operating in the UK and Europe. With an outstanding and ever-growing product range, Armacoat remain at the forefront of sustainable decorative surface solutions. Jack Richardson works as a senior acoustic consultant for Hilson Moran. His interest and passion for acoustics was developed through his early education as a musician. Through his own experience of performing in different spaces, he became intensely aware of the effect that the characteristics of the room had on his emotional response to the music and the richness of his experience, an epiphany that he tries to reflect on during his day-to-day -day practice as an acoustician. Since graduating from the University of Salford in 2014, Jack has been working as an acoustic consultant, working on a multiplicity of projects nationwide and internationally. Outside of his employment, Jack is a member of the Institute of Acoustics, IOA, Southern Branch Committee, where he sits beside various other industry experts sharing the common goal of positively contributing to the future direction of the acoustics industry and raising awareness of the importance of good acoustics in our everyday lives. Spencer Drake is a regional sales manager at Armacoat Surface Finishes. He graduated from Reading University in 2000 after studying surveying and worked within commercial real estate for two years. He joined Armacoat in 2002 and provides specification consultancy on new projects to assist architects, designers and contractors with advice on specialist surface finishes. He has an in-depth knowledge of material application, substrate build-up and colour technology. Spencer's worked on many of the UK's most prestigious projects, including the Shard, the Darwin Cocoon, the Walkie Talkie and the Gherkin. Welcome to the show, Jack and Spencer. Hello. Thanks for having us. Hi, Simon. Us. You're very welcome. Being on a video call during lockdown, it's always nice to let our listeners know where you're seated. So starting with you, Spencer, where are you? So, Simon, I'm currently in Armacoat's head office in Sevenoaks, Kent. Uh, we've set up a little studio here, so hopefully you can hear me loud and clear. Very much so. And Jack? I'm also in head office of Hills Moran. That's in, uh, in Farnborough. Starting with you, Spencer, tell us your name, what you do, who you work with and where you're from. Well, uh, my name's Spencer Drake. I work at Armacoat. I've been here for probably the best part of about 18 years, really dealing with sort of specialist surface finishes. And as a company, we've been kind of instrumental over the last 40 years in bringing all sorts of different wonderful specialist finishes, mainly walls and ceiling finishes, to all sorts of architects, designers and clients over the years. And Jack, same question to you. I'm Jack Richardson. My job is a senior acoustic consultant for Hilson Moran, and uh, that's a multidisciplinary consultancy firm. I've been with Hilson Moran for, I think, about seven years now. And in that time, been involved with quite a number of projects over a huge variety of sectors and, and different uh, challenges that we had to sort of figure out solutions to. So um, the company has been operating for over 40 years. Um, I'm sort of still fairly quite new, I guess, but um, it's been very interesting so far. 
So it would be fair to say that one of you works for a company that designs fantastic buildings and another one works for a company that creates products which enable those buildings to sound beautiful too. I agree with that, Simon. It's kind of strange because we're both within the same industry, but we're coming at it from different angles. And we're very much reliant upon Jack and acousticians alike to make sure that what they're specifying and how we produce our products really give them what they want and ultimately their clients, I guess. Yeah, Likewise, we can design things on paper, but it's really the hands-on appreciation for the product and seeing it being installed and understanding how it does change the experience you have in that space is um, really, really key for delivering a good design. For the listeners' benefits to familiarise them with your companies, uh, Jack and Spencer, if I said, give me three projects or buildings that you've worked on that spring to mind first, where would you start, Jack? Three projects. I think I'll, um, I'll pick from ones that I've had personal experience with and uh, I think they tie in nicely with you know with armor coats what they deliver as well and and I think the first one is arm their offices in new offices in Cambridge which were handed over a little while ago now Uh, it's got a a huge central atrium in their very very large footprint beautiful offices to work in and yeah that was quite challenging as a central atrium there like I say if it's not controlled then the the noise will build up and uh, leak into the the adjoining spaces so that was a challenge to get the finishes right and working closely with the architect I think 80 Fenchurch Street is one that's very recently handed over and that was one of the first projects that I ever worked on as an acoustician which is was an added bonus should we say once I saw it sort of signed off and brought back memories of doing the initial surveys and going to a, a derelict old building and then now seeing it replaced with a beautiful new office office space. And then lastly, I think Cold Drops Yard is a really interesting building. That was quite challenging. There was a lot of in, interconnected spaces in, inside. So the finishes, again, were key to the success of that project. I mean, from the outside and, and the inside, but it just looks fantastic. So, so that's a great project. It's one of my personal favourites. I like going there. It's not far down the road from me where I live in Shepherd's Bush to King's Cross. It's an amazing space there. Spencer, how about you? Three projects that spring to mind where you've installed armour coats? Well, I guess the, the most memorable was the work we did at the Darwin Cocoon at the uh, the Natural History Museum. I mean, this is going back a few years, mind you, but we did the outside of the Darwin Cocoon, which is on the West Wing of the Natural History Museum, which is personally one of my favourite buildings in London anyway. That's beautiful. And it's just such a fabulous space when you're on the outside and then the inside. But we ended up doing the outside of a, a huge egg-shaped cocoon, mm-hmm. which houses all of Darwin's species collections that he collected when he went around the world in the Beagle. We were asked by the architects to apply almost like a porcelain type looking plaster finish to the entire outside of the cocoon. It was about three and a half thousand square meters. And it's just such a wonderful space there because it's a contemporary looking structure in contrast with the, you know, obviously the historic background of the museum. Mm. And we, we had the pleasure of when we were doing the work, you know, going up on the roof there and seeing how all the uh, behind the scenes stuff works at the Natural History Museum. Oh, wow. And I, I guess equally, we've worked at the Shard, it, you know, looking at lift lobbies. We've been up and down the building during construction phase and, and equally the Gherkin. So, you know, we've, we've been involved in some really Iconic. fantastic projects. When Absolutely. you were speaking there, you talked about a plaster surface. One doesn't normally think of smooth finishes and acoustics going hand in hand. Uh, they normally think of it as being causing reverberation and reflective surfaces. So, what is armor coat in terms of its ceiling that enables you to have this nice smooth finish but you nevertheless improve the acoustics what's the secret or are you allowed to say <laughs> i think i can give you some details I, <laughs> I mean look this is technology or a system that we've developed really to control reverberation within spaces our system itself comprises either a 28 millimeter or a 48 millimeter 
acoustic plaster system. It goes to site as a series of individual pads or panels which are bonded directly to the ceiling, or it can even go on walls if it's within a sort of high space where there's low traffic. Mm-hmm. We then apply a seamless plaster coating over the surface. Now, it's that fine surface coating which we mix marble aggregate within yeah. um, to give it a very refined-looking matte surface, which ultimately allows air to pass through it And in the background behind that seamless skim coat, the sound is attenuated within glass wall pads. You know, we've got two systems. One's sort of class A rated. The other one is is class B rated. Mm -hmm. And really, it's funny because I think previously you couldn't mix aesthetics with function. But Mm. now, you know, with the advent of these sort of finishes, you really can do. So the architect can have their cake and eat it. In your role, Jack, as an acoustician, you need to know what products can achieve what acoustics, I suppose. Yeah, we like to keep um, good links with the products and, and have a relationship with the products that ultimately are going to be installed and really bring the design into the real world. It's something that we pride ourselves on. It, it gives us a good eye for detail and appreciation during sort of coordination stages that you know we, we can understand how these things are brought to fruition shall we say i think that obviously the the initial stages of the project we're really trying to figure out how the spaces are going to be used we get that information from the client and the design team so we um we really need to learn what the client's aspirations are for the intended use of the space and how they want people to experience it. So mm-hmm. that's obviously acoustics is a big determinant in the experience that you have in a room, in a building. Um, and ultimately it helps uh, create you know benefits uh, for people. So really it's getting to that stage first. And then we start to look at the, the specification of materials and, and doing some calculations and trying to translate that experience that they're, they're looking for into numbers and figures that we can then pass on to the likes of Armaco. And it's at that stage, then we'll, we'll look at sort of the coordination and how we will fit that product into the space uh, to meet the desired result. And that's where the attention to detail is paramount, really. Spencer, in advance of this call, you kindly shared a video with me, which I'm going to share in advance of this episode going out. And uh, it was a video of the work that you had done on a project called The Minister Building. Could you tell us firsthand your experience of the challenges that that project presented and what Armacote did there please. I mean that was a a really interesting project for us. Uh, We were kind of contacted by Buckley Gray Yeoman. They're a fairly large architectural practice and in fact they they designed our headquarters many years ago as well um, from what I'm told by, uh, by our directors here. We were contacted really because there was some foresight through some acoustic studying that there could be some reverberation problems within the Minster building. If, if I can sort of paint a picture for you. Please do. Uh, there is a very large circular atrium space or core which goes up through the centre of a previous sort of, I think it was an 80s building, possibly 90s building, with various reception kind of corridors or foyers working off that core. And there are very few sort of breaks within that space. The design that was put forward and proposed really focused on the use of hard surfaces so you know terrazzo flooring the walls had a hard polished plaster on it and and there was a lot of glass within the space as well Mm. and i think there there was a a genuine concern and and it was a real concern that reverberation would be a problem in there so we kind of took some solutions to the design team there and also the contractor because it takes a contractor to build the substrate that we're going on to which i think kind of jack alluded to previously because it is kind of a collaborative thing you've got to get everything right and 
all your ducks in a row. And we applied our acoustic plaster to the ceiling there in fairly large monolithic hits. I think the largest area we did was approaching about 200 square meters in total. And the net result is when you go within the space, you've got this beautiful seamless ceiling with feature joints going through it, which align with the terrazzo joints in the floor. And you get this beautiful seamless ceiling. The space is calm. And because it's the first space you walk into when you enter the building, it really sets the scene, uh, which is quite nice. You know, you, it's not like you're walking into a loud space. You come off a busy London street, you've got buses going past, all sorts of taxis, and suddenly you're in this oasis of calm. But yet it still kind of maintains a really beautiful aura. It's not quiet. It's just got a nice sort of ambiance within there. Uh, they've got a cafe in the entrance area. And, you know, you've got people walking, foot traffic going directly to the lifts. And I think one of the critical things in these sort of spaces is when you walk in them, it's not about necessarily the aesthetics, although don't get me wrong, they're wonderful in there. If you close your eyes and actually listen to the space, and I, I kind of urge anyone to do this when they walk into any new space or any mm -hmm. old space, have a listen and see whether the design has been put together in a good kind of oral format. And if anyone's kind of designing a space going forward, have a think about the acoustics within it. Will it orally work? You know, when you're walking in there, are you going to hear footsteps? What sort of space is it going to be used for? What sort of mood are you trying to create? Will it make you happy? Does it lift productivity, for example? I come from a film background I've mentioned on the show in the past that when people were preparing to create a TV commercial and if the meeting went on for five hours four and a half hours of that was spent on the look of the film the costume the wardrobe all the visual aesthetics and then maybe five minutes of the meeting would be dedicated to what sort of music should we use and what's the sound going to be the visual <laughs> aesthetic was very much a priority can you relate to that story Jack yeah, I can. Similar to, to you, because uh, I understand you come from a music background as well. That's Simon. right. Yeah, I do as well. And I think as a result, I've always had that, should we say, intimate relationship with sound. Mm -hmm. And then it was sort of through college and getting involved in studios that I was awakened to the world of acoustics and, and the benefits and the effects that it will have on people's experience and their emotions. You know, it's something that we can all feel or relate to when it's articulated to you in a clear way. I think designing with your ears is as important as designing for the eyes. It needs to be considered and it sounds very familiar, the project that Spencer's just described in that they have that large atrium with a cafe in there and, and potentially people trying to work and enjoying the space and it really, unless it's looked at properly and you have the finishes in there to sort of dampen that noise down, it can become just a, a cacophony of, of all different noises moulded together and uh, it really can be quite unpleasant. You talk about when you look at the various components can become a cacophony of noise. In order to meet that battle, one of the things Quiet Mark has done, of course, is this year we launched our Acoustics Academy platform, which is a directory of tested and verified products which the building sector can look at and if they want to find and source products which can improve the acoustics of a building, they can go there and, of course, Armacote are one of those very products. Is that sort of directory useful to you as an acoustic in terms of being able to source doors, floors, ceilings, windows, etc. 
Yeah, I think definitely so. It's so important to have a range and understanding of, of what's available uh, to do the job, not least just to know that what you're asking for is is achievable. We, we try and keep a database of all the products. So it's, it's great to see it in a more polished form, should we say, you know, available to not just ourselves. Obviously, we naturally would develop a, an understanding and appreciation for the products that are out there. But it's also available to to people that might not have access to that level of information. Yeah, having a marker, you know, it's almost like a, a check mark and an approval. So it's similar to the, sort of the, the Twitter blue tick, I suppose, of the acoustics world. <laughs> Seeing that that's available for, for people that uh, won't have that access to that information usually is a great positive thing. On the acoustics page of the Hilsa Moran website, there were a couple of lines which really stood out for me. One of them being, Jack, and I'm going to put this to you, it said, the tougher the assignment, the more our team relish it as they are proven problem solvers in noise and vibration issues. What makes an assignment tough? And have you used Armacoat to provide a solution in anything recently as well? The toughest challenges come in um, in interpreting a, a brief and, and then trying to translate that language into acoustic terms and, and vice versa and, and help you know helping people understand what you're trying to, the message you're trying to put across. Acoustics is often referred to as, a, as arc art. So it's really good to try and shed some light on some of the jargon that's used and uh, put it in simple terms and tangible parameters and, and ways that we can understand just as human beings, not as, as engineers or technical people. The challenges come in when I think in particular, if we're looking at the room acoustic side of things, is when you have these otherwise hard reflective surfaces it really does become hard to control the reverberation in those spaces when the aesthetic intent is to have marble stone monolithic finishes that are typical of say high-end residential for example so we we use computer modeling software um, to build a, a model of a space and then we can simulate how the the sound will behave within that room and what that allows us to do is to vary the performance of finishes on the on the various surfaces and, and really dig into the detail of how sound will behave. And then at that point, we can extract a performance specification to talk in some technical language, but then provide that to, to the manufacturers like Spencer. And that's when we need to select the products and, and we can be sure then that what we're selecting is, is suitable for the function. We worked on a, it was a part of the facilities from a high-end residential complex. So part of that um, facility was a spa and swimming pool area. Mm-hmm. Obviously, swimming pools are, are generally hard surfaces because you have a lot of water in the space, humidity, that sort of thing, and, and cleanliness for acoustics. There's nothing there inherently to absorb that noise as it bounces around the space. Now, in discussions with a client early stage, we understood that that was intended to provide the residents a, a place to relax and recuperate. Um, and really, too much noise doesn't really allow that process to happen. We then looked at introducing some absorption within the space. But it, the challenge was really making it fit with the architectural and the visual intent and aspirations of that room. As you'd imagine, it's very, very clean. It was white surfaces, very complex geometries and the ceiling, etc. So we really had to find a product that was able to deliver the acoustic performance, but also look good in the space. So that's where we recommended Armaco were contacted by the architect. And then that really started that conversation off. And we were able to recently go in and, and do some early stage tests to sort of verify the performance of, of what had been installed and compare that back to our 
calculations. And that's a step that um, is, is really critical in giving us the confidence with our designs. It's almost like a, a stamp of approval and we can move on and say, yeah, that worked and we can use that again. And happy to say that I think the we, we will be going back to put the cherry on the top and, and do some final commissioning measurements. But the predicted results showed some very, very good correlation with the measured results. So it looks like we did a good job. There's also, there is the subjective experience as well that, that is a good indicator as, you know, we're obviously, we're designing this building for people to occupy and experience and enjoy. So if we walk in and the first instinct is, oh, this is very reverberant, it's very noisy, and it's, it's generally wouldn't want to sit in here and, and relax by the pool, then it gives you a straight away an initial idea as to what the results are going to be like. I think subjectively and objectively, it, it ticked all the boxes. And Spencer, you know, Armacote's been used in this swimming pool scenario that Jack's been describing here. Do people buy the product from you and they install it or is Armaco an installation service as well as a product? We manufacture it, we install it and we warrant it. Uh, we don't sell it to anyone else to install. The, the only exception is if you know we have an overseas project where perhaps we have a, an agent who is approved in installing it. But in the UK or any territory where we don't have an agent, we will install the products and travel to install the products. Um, I think what we found as a manufacturer is you can do all sorts of testing in advance. Uh, you can send your materials off to labs to get them tested for their acoustic performance and all this sort of stuff. But ultimately, these are just kind of unreal scenarios. It's not where the product is actually being used. And when you look at a host of different parameters which exist within any given room or any given space, whether that's the size of the space, the materials that are there, the occupiers, the humidity, all these factors, they can have an overriding impact on the acoustics within the space. And I think it's that patchwork quilt of materials that are within that space needs to be modelled, and we are just one of them. And I think the nice thing about the project we've most recently done with Hills Moran is this is a, a retrofit of an existing building which has a known acoustic problem, and it was possible to get before and now after results. And that's a very sort of rare situation because most of the time where our products are being specified, mm -hmm. they're in new buildings where there's no prior testing, and you're really very much reliant upon someone coming in and rather than having a quantitative analysis of the space that's been designed, you're just purely reliant upon someone coming in at the end saying, yeah, it sounds great. And really, I appreciate that can sometimes sound a bit blase as a comment, but that's the best that most people get at the end of a project. Hmm. And it's lovely to have some raw data which can be fed back to acousticians and then they can feed that back into their modeling later on. Uh, it's very valuable. And for us as a manufacturer, it's also incredibly valuable to know that all that testing you've done, all that product development has actually worked at the end. Yeah, absolutely agree. It's, um, it's not always the case that you get a chance to go in and verify everything to that level of detail. And it really does help with just knowing that what you're doing is working and instead of using the old, I think the old saying is, you know, no, no news is good news. Um, but really, it's good to have it on black and white. It's worked. And yeah, hopefully the, the occupants, once they do eventually occupy it, will uh, think it's a, a great place to be. Great. And I suppose the million dollar question, Jack, is did it uh, achieve the results that you were hoping for by using Armacote in the swimming pool space? I am delighted to say that it did. <laughs> so we, we've done we've done the on-site measurements. We've applied a few corrections just to be technically robust, but the estimated, the measured, and the targeted criteria was and performance was met. So uh, it's yeah, a, a great result. We were pleased too, Simon. <laughs> <laughs>
various guests on the show have talked about how there's been a growing appreciation for quiet, the sounds of nature and the well-being that one can feel having that quiet. You spoke earlier, Spencer, about the uh, Minster building and when people come from a busy street into that space, there's this, it's not quiet quiet, but it nevertheless feels right. There's something beautiful about the acoustics. So I'm wondering, do you think acoustics will have grown as a priority in architectural design as a result of the pandemic? And what other effects do you think that Down uh, may have had on design going into the future? Well, I think, Simon, there's there's a whole host of kind of predictions as to what's going to happen with future office design, retail, residential design. I mean, we, we are starting to see the emergence of a, a few interesting trends. If we take offices as an example, there's quite an abundance of kind of open plan offices, the big trading floors uh, within the big banks, insurers, you know, these are large open plan spaces. And I think perhaps what's driving things forward with with you know, the recent COVID pandemic is people are, are looking at and architects and designers are looking at whether they should start becoming slightly more modular or pod based again. And uh, we've certainly seen an upswing in, in interest with putting our finishes inside meeting pods, which have been specifically designed for one person or for face to face meetings, but with social distancing. And I think the thing is within those pods, they are quite often enclosed spaces They have glass all the way around them. You know, once again, these are kind of reverb chambers, which are not great for acoustics. And so there does need to be a focus in that situation on on how they're performing. But I think more interestingly, within those sort of spaces, I think we are going to see different attributes given to different zones within office design and equally within retail design. I mean, I had an interesting conversation with an acoustician a couple of weeks ago about the dreaded walk of shame when you're walking through an office which is from your desk, uh, walking to the breakout area or, or even to the lavatory and making it a walk which no one else notices, you know, and perhaps there needs to be more focus on how people use the space. Do you want someone to hear your footsteps as you're walking along the corridor or through an open plan office as you go into the lavatory? Hmm. I would argue not, you know, yeah, and it's true. the same if you're working within a team and you are you want to purely hear you know, let's say the four or five people around you without having to shout, without having to spread COVID, for example. Yeah. Uh, you want to be able to hear people with clear diction. And I think that's really what it comes down to. It's not necessarily about what products you're using on the ceiling. It can be down to, you know, um, how the photocopy machine is working in the background. Do people use photocopiers now? I think they do, don't they? Uh, still do. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it's that kind of example. And, and all the whirring noises, the air conditioning units, you know, the sound control within that space. And we've also noticed that there's a lot more focus put on COVID kind of unfriendly surfaces is probably the best way of putting it. Some of the the designers we're working on, uh, working with, they are working with other manufacturers who are using, for instance, copper door handles, which uh, from what I'm told is, is one of the metals which doesn't sustain COVID for that long. Even we're starting to put some focus on the different sealers that can go over over our surfaces. For example, we've developed a new soap sealer, which goes over a lot of our plasters. We take an olive oil base um, and we mix it with potassium hydroxide, or it's reacted with potassium hydroxide, and that creates a soap sealer, which we dilute. And and the intention with that, and this is still under testing, so it's, it's something that we're getting feedback on at the moment, is that the soap sealer itself breaks down the lipid layer surrounding the coronavirus, uh, which supports the spike proteins. And the intention is a bit like when you wash your hands with soap, which is proven to break down the coronavirus. We are hoping that the results that come back prove positive 
in that uh, with the application and the reapplication of mm -hmm. the soap sealer, it will actually um, provide surfaces which are clean to use. And whilst it won't be a permanent thing, it's certainly something which with reapplication will be of benefit to the users within that space. Jack, do you recognise what Spencer's talking about here, about a more sort of modular, functional approach to interior design? Um, yeah, so certainly um, the zoned working has been around for, for a while uh, in the workplace, but I think the COVID situation and, and the, the general health and well-being agenda uh, has really acted to sort of accelerate that to the top of you know a lot of people's priority list. It's a fascinating um, subject at the moment is you know the, the future of the workplace. I think the biggest challenge does lie in the working from home situation. You know we, we don't really from an acoustics perspective design homes to to be worked in. It's normally an additional extra or maybe you've got a spare room that you you convert into an office mm. and they're not always fit for purpose i think um you know during this pandemic i think we've all experienced the sort of pain of of trying to hear someone who's sat in a in a reverberant room or you know the audio quality is great and it just adds to that sort of what's been called the zoom fatigue or skype fatigue or however you want to yeah. mention it but um it, it makes things very difficult to hear so you know, that, that, that's a big problem because if people are going to be working from home a lot more, employers are going to want to know that their employees are in a, in a situation, in an environment that is, allows them to be productive, as productive as, as an office, you know, a base would be. So I think that's a really interesting topic. Um, and I think we're going to start to see perhaps some of the, the design philosophies that we apply to workspace being bled over into into the, the domestic market and uh, that would be interesting to see what that looks like the modular side of things will always be a challenge acoustically because you have these like spencer said small boxes that are essentially echo chambers and um treating those will be will be a challenge you know modularization again is something because of the labor that less labor cost uh, there's less energy demand on those sorts of things so it's it's prefabricated and, and shipped on site we, we did a stadium out in Qatar that was built primarily from shipping containers which were fitted out off site and then brought onto site and they will be configured and, and put together and then they will be reused somewhere else in the world so that's the whole recycling and the circular economy mm. uh, I think that will really accelerate uh, the modular building and construction techniques that we're, we're starting to see when you're talking about modular spaces, my mind goes to the program Mad Men, where people had these sort of very much their own cubicles <laughs> and uh, were very isolated from their co-workers. We're isolated already, albeit we're Zooming, but are we bringing Zoom-like isolation to the workspace through these pods, or, or isn't it like that? Please reassure me it's not. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think there's a time and place to to sit isolated and work. And there are certain jobs that, that rely on that communication. I think you're safe. I don't think it's going to be quite like you described there. So I think I think it should be okay. <laughs> I, I have to agree with you, uh, Jack. I think people are, are really craving a bit of sound from their colleagues. W would you believe it? You know, um, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible uh, what you pick up just within a uh, an office environment or within a, a cafe environment wherever you are if you're if you're working uh, little nods you know nudges and the background sort of 
feedback you get from just overhearing potentially a telephone conversation where a colleague's agreeing something with a client or something like that. And these are all kind of subliminal things which are going in that you just don't get when you're working in a box. I mean, perhaps what might happen, uh, we'll wait and see. But I think when people are starting to return back to the offices and to their workplaces, because it, it, it will happen eventually, I'm, I'm assured of it. I think that there will be certain areas where perhaps there'll be like collaboration zones, um, where some real focus and energy will be put and money will be spent on creating really decent meeting spaces where people can get together, collaborate, mm. uh, exchange ideas, and really focus on getting to the heart of making decisions. Because I don't know whether you agree with me, Jack, at the moment, it's incredibly difficult to get decisions made, which you would normally have a site meeting with or have a meeting with clients face to face, trying to do it over Zoom, you don't have those nods of agreement that you normally get within an open meeting plan space. Absolutely. It, it tends to be very structured, the conversation. So someone speaks and then someone speaks after that. And you you don't get that natural feel of the conversation. And, and I know it, it's not acoustic related, but the eye contact is a big thing. Obviously, you don't look at the camera when you're talking on Zoom um, and you can't sort of look each other in the eye, really. So it's just little things like that that make it really tricky. There's something, you know, that I'm sure there's science to back it up and there's something about being in a space with people working to a common goal and the ideas start to flow. The process, the collaboration process is, is, is totally different over Zoom and it's, it's something that I've been personally and I know a lot of my colleagues are craving to get to sort of back to some form of normality with work. Yeah, it can be very, very tricky to do this remotely constantly. It's okay occasionally, but not all the time. The office space is certainly not going anywhere. There's been some fascinating research done around what workers are looking for, what employees look for in an office space. Admittedly, it was before the COVID, so it would be very interesting to see how that's changed now. People's attention may have shifted to something else. You know, it shows that they need a collaboration space but they also need their own private workstations that they can, um, you know, call their own and, and have a, a bit of a, almost like a, an identity within that office space as well. So I think we're going to see these things still within the office. But I think that just, the, you know, the way that we use the office and when we're in, I don't think we're, it's, it's going to change. In episode two of the Quiet Mark podcast, our guest was Ethan Bordeaux, who's the sound concept lead at the Well Building Institute. And something that Ethan said was that to entice people out of their homes where they're becoming very comfortable working and to bring them back into the office, some buildings may have to say to their staff, hey, we've done a sort of a, a refit or a redesign to make the building really lovely for you to come back to. And acoustic improvement is one of those things in order to get well certification. Can you relate to that? Do you think building owners are going to have to make more effort to make the places more attractive to the occupants? You're massively right with that, Simon. I mean, it's almost like where people have been working from home, they, they, now that they're returning back to the office, there's this kind of hypersensitivity towards working amongst others, initially anyway. And there's got to be some sort of accommodation to make people feel welcome. I'm not sure what that is. I guess there's a degree of kind of, if you're working within the space, you know, and you, you're going for your the first day of your, you know, your first job within the space, there's that dreaded pickup of the first telephone call <laughs> and you think that everyone else is listening to you. You know, it's that sort of scenario. And I think we're all kind of reliving that again because we've been working at home for so long. And then coming back into the office is, is 
kind of, you know, you're aware of your surroundings again. So anything that can be done from an acoustic perspective to kind of calm that environment, hmm. create the right mood, the ambience, you know, create the right morale, I think is so important. And if that's as simple as, you know, getting the reverberation right or, you know, noise control, stopping loads of sound coming across the room from other colleagues, I, I think that's so important just to kind of harmonise the space at the moment. I hope, you know, for, for the sake of, of kind of productivity, that more focus will be put on on acoustics in that respect, because it's only going to improve people's productivity and morale within the office. I mean, what, I, I don't know what you think, Jack, whether that's the same. Yeah, definitely. I think it's people forget it's it's related to one of our primary senses. The well accreditation scheme is, you know, is really good. And we've, we've used it quite a, a number of times on projects. We're, we're, it's, very, it's becoming very, very popular for that reason. It's really looking at designing a building for the occupants and it's all about their health and well-being, their productivity, how happy they are to be working there. And I think it's a great, to get onto that scheme and, and to meet those requirements, will it will offer that benefit that you talk about, Simon, to encourage people to come out of their homes and despite the the pandemic despite everyone hiding from from the virus i think they will slowly come back out and and uh, i think that's that would be a a great way of doing it it's actually quite close to home because we had a, a refit a couple of years ago of our manchester office and we um designed it as um as a as a practice to meet the well accreditation and one part of that was looking at the acoustics designing the reverberation times to meet the requirements. Uh, the, the noise levels were very, very carefully designed and we ended up putting some acoustic baffle finishes in there to, to sort of soak up, mop, mop up some of that reverberant noise. I'm not based in the Manchester office, but I wish I was because it really is um, it is difficult to describe the experience of working in, a, in an office environment that's been that carefully designed for your experience. And it's very, very difficult to put your finger on exactly. Obviously, we can talk about the technical side, but it just makes you feel a lot happier, a lot more productive, alert. The stressful situations don't seem to bother you as much um, when you're in that environment. And it's, it's, you know, it's a really great, great office space. Um, I think it was one of the, one of the first well-accredited buildings in the UK as well, which was a, a sort of cherry on the top. Yeah. So it's... Uh, it's an absolute, yeah, it's really, really good, really, really good scheme. Earlier, Jack, when you were listing your uh, three example projects, you mentioned Cold Drops Yard, and that's a really fantastic sort of futuristic building, very curvy. Spencer, when it comes to building design becoming quite curvy and futuristic, does that pose problems for square panels or can Armacote work with curved surfaces as well? It's a good question. I mean, we initially when we were sort of developing our product, the thought was it would mainly be kind of square flat ceilings or rectangular ceilings or high level walls. But of course, naturally, almost the first projects that we started working on, architects got their curved rulers out and started designing all sorts of 3D spaces, which is great to have that sort of challenge. We love it. And we get sent quite a few sort of Rhino models and 3D models, which sort of specify exactly where the products are going. And we've had to develop our, our materials so they can be used over curved backgrounds. And, and I'm not just talking single radii, I'm talking compound curves with radii going in different directions. We can cut out the back of our system to work around curved surfaces. And we've done that on a few projects and it's been very, very successful. And it's quite nice actually, because 
not only then dealing with a really beautiful surface, but you're creating a beautiful form as well. I think that's kind of where architecture has obviously gone more recently. I mean, everyone knows the big names in architecture that have done curved surfaces. And even Cold Drops Yard. I mean, we did some work in Cold Drops Yard on some walls within there with some of our, our traditional polished plasters, for example. And we worked on the, the gas holder triplet just north of Cold Drops Yard, um, oh, yeah. which is in the same sort of King's Cross complex. Mm. And some of the architecture there is really beautiful. There are curves that have to be accommodated within the design. And I guess now it's it's about having a palette of materials that you can use over curves uh, and not just flat panels or flat surfaces. And really that's something that we're very proud of. We can assist in that respect. I think it's a, a great thing to develop that ability because curved surfaces are, are usually an acoustician's nightmare with when it comes to room acoustics if the room acoustics is, is a real consideration uh, the reason being is because as the sound hits that surface it tends to focus into one spot or a number of spots within the room so you don't get this sort of nice diffuse reverberation throughout the space and so one person's experience might differ from someone sat sort of two meters away i'm going to say two meters just because that seems a a common distance to sit away from someone at the moment but yeah that just popped into my head but um treating those curved surfaces when you've got that shaped architecture is really quite critical because if you can dampen the energy coming back off those reflections then you can start to whittle down the problem i was on a job the other day where they kind of had a domed ceiling and the, the sound was very much focused on one point. Do you prefer it when you kind of create those unique areas within the building because sometimes it's quite nice to kind of have those as a feature i guess you know a bit like you have a the old sort of you know 1990s feature wall we used to do plenty of those do you sometimes create those sort of slightly quirky places with acoustic design um this is where i think acoustics is starting to or people's attitude towards noise and sound and acoustics in general is starting to shift i think traditionally it's been very much concentrated on the reduction of noise you know removing anything that's negative and there's a real negative tone to acoustics sometimes when you talk about it. Mm. And I think this is where things like this podcast are, are great at sort of bringing it to the forefront of people's minds and actually understanding that it's not just noise, it's sound, it's acoustics, it's room acoustics. These are all, all terms that describe acoustics, but we all experience them. So I would love to have the opportunity to design almost, it's not an architectural feature, I don't know what you'd call it. I suppose it's, it's a piece of art. Mm. <laughs> you know, there are... I've spoken to artists, public artists that have been involved in developing these um, these amazing you know, structures and everything, but they have a, a certain acoustic, very unique acoustic characteristic. There's a there's a, a sea, a tidal organ, I think it's called in Blackport, if, if I'm right. Mm -hmm. And as the tide goes out, it sort of excites these pipes like an organ does and it plays a tune. Oh, wow. What about biophilia and uh, using plants in design to create sort of zones? Is that something that you uh, have worked with as an acoustic treatment? It is, yeah. There's there's sort of two sides of biophilia with regards to sounds. Um, I mean, we we have bio, biophilia experts in in house. We do get involved in that side of the design, and that is something that we we rolled out into our Manchester fit out as well. In relation to acoustics, natural materials, for example, that are commonly used in biophilic designs, cork and things like that, mm -hmm. are, tend to have sort of natural acoustically absorptive properties, which can be quite handy. So it sort of fulfills two functions at once. I really want to start exploring the use of biophilic sound, uh, you know, for, for positive benefits. So actually using the sound of water, for example, for, for relaxation yeah. and 
sounds, natural sounds. I mean, Simon, you mentioned that people have generally their love for nature and appreciation for it has grown as a as a result of yeah. the uh, the pandemic and the lockdown. And you know, there's some research from universities. I think University of Cumbria provided some research that sort of backs that that up as well, which is fascinating to see. And one of the ways that people connected with nature through lockdown, based on that research, was to go and listen to birdsong, uh, which was I thought was really interesting. So it would be great to start to see that concept being brought into the workspace and perhaps using artificial, by artificial means or even natural means, start to introduce those sorts of sounds into the workspace. Now, obviously, it will depend on people's subjective response to those sorts of sounds as well. And it would have to be balanced in the context of the visuals and what people are expecting. Obviously, if you hear, you know, whales in the middle of London, it might be, <laughs> you know, you might, it might be a bit alarming. It's, it's, it's a fairly unheard of concept, I believe. And it's really starting to explore that. Yeah. And that's something that we're doing at the moment. Ethan, who I mentioned earlier from the World Building Institute, he's been getting on his bike during lockdown one and doing really good professional quality recordings, field recordings in places like Central Park and mm. other major parks in New York when sound had dropped by 50% and when birdsong and natural sounds were more prevalent. But there was nevertheless still a murmur, a very faint murmur of the city in the background. And so you're right, playing whale music in central London might not work but to play Central Park during lockdown in a New York office I think would be an amazing thing to do and he I think he's planning to make them available so I'll have to ask Ethan if they are available online to to use but I think that is a really nice idea and if it's played for durations you don't want to hear that same bird twitter every 30 seconds and it's a loop it needs to be and I think one of the things I was talking about was having these nice long recordings which could be played through a system which acts as a sort of a masking thing but also bring nature into a space yeah i'm i'm all for that design i i've been cycling almost every day through lockdown and i really like to sit and listen to nature like i really can't tell you just how much well-being that brings just taking a moment to unplug earbuds not look at a screen and literally just listen to leaves blowing in the wind and you know or whatever it might be yeah there's definitely a time and a place for it i think everyone has that appreciation there's nothing nicer than you know, sitting there and, and watching the sunset and listening yeah. to nature around you. And I think that's what people have really maybe didn't, they, they, I'm not suggesting they didn't appreciate that before, but I think it's just, you know, once that's taken away from you in, in the form of a lockdown, you sort of, you yearn for it and you want to, to, to feel that again, you know, and it's something that we've, we've all shared in the lockdown as well, which I think is a beautiful thing. You, you mentioned the sort of recurring recordings of, say, birdsong, but there's nothing stopping us now to have, you know, audio live streamed from somewhere around the world where this is the natural noise climate. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, straight into someone's into someone's workspace, as long as it's done in the correct way. And again, it's going back to the client's aspirations and, and ultimately the occupants, what they want from that building. As long as that's considered, really the sky's the limit. To your point as well, though, when you said earlier about the building where there was the benefit of having a before and after comparison, whereas with a new build, you don't have that. One of the things I suppose the lockdown in its quiet has given us is a reference point to say in future design. Do you remember the well-being that we derived from when the world was quieter? It calmed us. It made us feel good. Let's try and capture some of that in future design. It's great to have that before and after comparison, which before lockdown, we, I don't think we ever had. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I hope that it continues down this road and it's not something that's short-lived. We've adapted very quickly to the to the lockdown and as a result of that, we've we've gained this new appreciation and I just hope that it doesn't go the other way. And once we do get back to normal and we're, we're able to, to get back to normal lives, that I think it's up to us and, you know, as, as design practitioners, understanding the benefits of sound is to really, to bring that to light and educate people that, that are occupying these buildings they're ultimately the people that decide you know what goes in it mm. and how how it's constructed and, and what they want from the building bringing that to the public view and into the fore of their mind i think is, is something i'm particularly passionate about and uh try and do that yeah whenever I, whenever i can and i think the the biophilic design as a whole is a is a really really good the, the benefits are so wide reaching and they they, they span most building types it just goes to show how tuned in we are with our environment around us subconsciously mm. um, and it's really using that as a positive design tool I'm, I'm hoping it's it's the way forward from from this point mm. and, and on, on that note actually i mean this is not necessarily focused on acoustics but i think it, it all ties into the, the sensory nature of what you choose material wise within a, a scheme i do a study at the end of each year into what colors people have chosen to use within their projects because we naturally do all sorts of mm -hmm. you know, different colors and what's always interesting is there are certain themes depending on how the economy is doing and how people are living which always recur you you tend to find that certain colors are more interesting than others to specify as at certain periods within an economic cycle and we've certainly noticed more recently that there's been a real surge in architects and designers picking tones which perhaps include sort of raw umber type tones which have quite earthy natural tones mm -hmm. greens you know and they're veering away from the very vibrant bold tones and i think that might also tie into that newfound kind of love for nature that perhaps generationally we might have just lost sight of and are now getting a glimpse of again because we're starting to appreciate it Spencer, I'm wondering, you being regional manager of Armacote, what sort of challenges do you find dealing with the building design industry? Are they very familiar with Armacote? Do you have to educate them on what solutions Armacote can bring to a building project? I think what's interesting is uh, it's, we go in and out of practices. We meet with all sorts of different clients. And that, uh, traditionally, they will have a library set up of different materials that they can pick and choose from. And, and a lot of that's kind of gone digital, but the bigger practices will still have to retain a library because naturally products get selected, you know, whether it's fabrics or carpets or ceiling tiles, taps, all this sort of stuff. And you've got this shopping list, which kind of exists within that that practice. And we are just one of many manufacturers, let's face it, that, that are kind of putting things in front of them. And there is a degree of, of kind of education, you know, we're, we're going in there to provide background on how our, our materials work. But what we always find interesting is, is we get overview, we get sight of everything else that's been put in front of them. And there is certainly, I've certainly noticed in, in the past, sort of five or six years a growing trend to see more and more of the bookshelf space being dedicated to acoustics it's all very well looking at a sample but then you actually need to speak to someone face to face and what we don't have as a manufacturer is an overview of what the architect is picking and choosing for any given space and what the designer is looking at choosing for every single space they've got that overview so we're part of very much an advisory kind of capacity when it comes to providing solutions as a manufacturer mm -hmm. really if you put a decent product in front of someone you don't need to sell it it's, it's not necessary no. what's more important is that that it's clearly explained and 
that it provides both the aesthetics and also the function that the architect is looking for. On appliances, you know, QuietMark certifies the quietest appliances. We recently went to Magimix's head office in Guildford and they had this really great I suppose it was a sales tool, but it was a good demonstration. It was a device where on the right, you press the button and you heard the motor of a food processor and you could hear what a non-Magimix motor sounded like and it it screamed quite nastily. And then right next to it, there's a Magimix motor and you press the button, the Magimix motor plays. And not only is it less decibels than the other model, but it also has a nicer sound quality to it it sounds much more pleasant it's a much more pleasing hum to it if you like that's a great model when you're selling motors what can you do when it comes to acoustics do you take clients to buildings that you've done and ask them to experience it how does that work i, I know all about magimix uh, mixes <laughs> actually it's funny you should mention that in, in our workshops uh, where, where we do a lot of our product development uh, yeah. we quite often have to mix up our materials and we use industrial scale cake mixes to, to do small batch material trials. So I know all about the noise you're describing there. Don't go in for Bake Off though, will you? I've heard of rock cakes, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> well, ultimately, I mean, we're mixing up a, 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 you know, a, a host of ingredients and it's the same with a lot of manufacturers. You've got to get there and you've got to mix them together to see how it works. And uh, every cake mix uh, that, that you mix, some of them work, some of them don't, I guess. Oh, there you go. Um, but I mean, I, just going back to your, your question, I, th I think what, what is interesting is you do have to experience sound and acoustics. And it is important that you show and demonstrate to clients the benefits of creating a beautiful space that has got harmony with its acoustics. And yes, we take naturally our clients to, to finish projects that have been done. What is interesting, however, is every project is so individual. You can take someone to one space where we've done works and you'll get positive feedback immediately and, and people notice it, you know, as soon as they walk through the door. But the transition and the difficulty we have as a manufacturer is in explaining acoustics without having any kind of visual kind of sales tool to do that mm. and that's where you know things like i think they call ray diagrams am i right with that jack yeah, i prefer simon's description of them was that the jelly bean yeah i'm very technical jack you use, oh we've got this video and i'll probably post it but it's like an exploding red ball that explodes into jelly beans and those jelly beans bounce off the surfaces it shows where re reverberation occurs within a space what what's the proper it's not a jelly bean diagram what is it called it's it's a ray diagram. Oh, oh it's so boring. Comparatively <laughs> <laughs> boring, I, I I admit that. But, um, that's a you know great visual tool. It really does because you, you can see where you get things called latent reflections, so where the particularly bad reflections are. It brings that to life. Uh, but you you can go one step further and actually produce audio clips that simulate how speech or music or whatever you want to play will sound in that space once mm. you've built that computer model which is again it's just that one step further into making acoustics more tangible it really does help we quite often provide those with our reports and so the clients can get a chance not to read about how it's going to sound but also just experience it i suppose as well jack when someone's creating a project it's there's a list of line items and because sound is invisible if there's line items which are related to acoustics i imagine a client could say hey this is really expensive am i really going to experience the benefit you might have to sell the benefit of good acoustics am i right in thinking that or do clients come really wanting to pay for that i'd say it's it's certainly getting better clients are, are really starting to get on board with the acoustics 
and understanding the benefit. I think it's probably for most part, or at least some part, is born from having complaints about acoustics on previous projects, for example. So we often get, you know, clients highlighting at the beginning, you know, we've had an issue on a previous project. We don't want that issue again. Uh, and that really mm. keeps that at the top of the agenda. But you do get, you know, we do we do have clients and, and I think the architects are great at this. Some of the, the architects we work with um, are really, really good at bringing that to everyone's attention. And they, they're starting to understand you know, getting the acoustics right does impact the space. It adds to the, the whole experience. I've used that word a lot, but it does really, mm. it does add to that experience. You know, I think I think most people have, can pick out a, a specific example of when noise has had a negative impact on their health and well-being. Mm. It could be, you know, it could be something as simple as a, a, a neighbour noise nuisance, or it could be something like your workspace isn't, it just doesn't feel right when you're in it. it yeah. it's, you know, the, the sound isn't right for what they're trying to do. It doesn't. It's not conducive with their way of working and what they're what they're attempting to do. So, and you know, this this all sounds like isolated events that you know just pop up every now and again, and people deal with it and, and move on. But it really doesn't work like that. You know, when you've when you've got exposure to noise or or something that's that's triggering that emotional response. It's, it's all energy that your body's using over time. And it, it starts to have real long-term biological effects, not just uh, mental effects. So, Yeah, yeah I have to agree with you on that, Jack. I, I think uh, I was talking uh, to someone who worked in a restaurant the other day, and all the focus was put on the people that were visiting the restaurant to eat and drink and, and what have you. And there was such a cacophony of noise in there that no one could hear each other talking across the table. But what was most interesting to me was the fact that those people were purely visitors. You know, they were there for an hour or two having having a good meal. But the poor waiting staff mm. and the people working in the restaurant were there permanently. And some of them were coming home at night with their ears ringing. That, to me, is not a healthy environment to live in. And something can be done about it. This, this is the great thing about it, you know, right? You can you can do something about it in this situation. There are products out there that, that can provide performance enhancements within that environment. That's something that quite often comes up in conversation all the time. You know, I went to a restaurant. I was sitting opposite someone and I was having to shout across the table. Yeah. And I think especially with COVID at the moment, I mean, the last thing yeah. you want to be doing is shouting, no, you know, and right. spreading germs everywhere. You know, everything's kind of interrelated here. There's mm. a common theme, I think, that really something needs to be done within these environments. And before doing that, you need a professional, someone like Ilsa Moran. You need someone to go into that space and evaluate it and give some professional sort of feedback because... There is a risk that you're not actually going to achieve something by just putting some non-thought-through products in there. You need to really nail down what the problem is, what the frequency range is that's causing all those issues, or whether it's a certain height within a space. You know, take a school as an example. There's been some feedback on certain speech heights or speech levels within mm -hmm. spaces, which are important. Yeah, it's the first thing I thought of, actually, when you mentioned the, the restaurant noise and people working in that space have to deal with that day in, day out. It's, mm. you know, it's the same for, for teachers working in classrooms and uh, nurses working in, in you know in wards that are, are noisy and it's you know it's a workspace and it has these physiological effects on them over long periods of time so the frustrating thing is and this is this discussion is one that can cause a bit of frustration for people that understand that we have the tools and the abilities to combat these problems very very effectively i think the only thing that's normally missing or, or can be missing should i say is is the will 
to put the money aside for that, to solve that particular solution for the betterment for everyone, really, everyone who's experiencing that building. And that's, I think we're seeing a, a shift in the focal point to that issue. I think we're, we're still, there's a road, a road ahead of us. Well, Spencer, Jack, it's been a fascinating conversation uh, with you both. I've really enjoyed hearing where you cross over and what you do independently of one another. I'm sure the listeners will love this episode. Thank you for your time and hope to see you guys soon. Thanks very much, Simon. It's great to be on the show. Thanks, Simon. Great to speak to you. Thanks. You're welcome. Again, our heartfelt thanks go out to Jack and Spencer for taking time to do that recording with us and for sharing such great insights into a world where acousticians work with companies like Armacoat to create beautiful sounding buildings. And as we heard, when the building sounds right, it feels right and everyone benefits. If, like Jack, you're an acoustician or even a homeowner looking to improve the sound of your work from home environment or a building that you might be creating, do feel free to visit acousticsacademy.com or go to quietmart.com and look at the Acoustics Academy or Building Sector menu on our top navigation menu bar where you'll find a range of companies like Armacote creating products to improve acoustics in buildings. If, on the other hand, like Spencer, you work with a company that produces acoustic materials and you're interested in having them QuietMark verified, please do feel free to get in touch with us at email us at quietmark.com. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. We have some fantastic guests in the pipeline, like Yoko Sen, an ambient musician and co-founder of a company called Sen Sound, who are on a mission to improve the way that alarms sound in hospitals so that the sound that they make raises an alarm, but nevertheless is more conducive to healing. In another episode I've already recorded, I've spoken with Rockwall, who are another company whose products can be found on the Acoustics Academy, and one of their very happy customers, Dr. Mix, who is a YouTube sensation and influencer, a great synth player with half a million followers, and he talks to us about the studio that he's built, the music studio, and how Rockwall helped him to create the studio of his dreams. So do stay tuned for that. I look forward to sharing those shows with you. In the meantime, stay safe, and I look forward to you joining us for another show soon. Bye for now.